Hello and welcome to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. On this episode, you got your host, Skinny Burt, here. Along with me is AP. AP, what's going on? Not too much, man. Not too much. Just a Sunday night chatting about golf. And uh, how was the weekend? Any golf or any activities? No, just some hiking. No golf this weekend. Decided to take a couple days off because I have seven rounds in the next 10 days so that's probably a good play more so for your mental well-being <laughs> nothing <laughs> else for my golf ball stash <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any more strixons left i only have uh, <laughs> i have enough and it should take me through the next 10 days but well let's we should have a count ball or uh, a, ball a golf ball counter just like the waggle counter yeah exactly why not We'll have a, yeah, we should have a number of Strixons remaining. And now that I think about it, like, I should probably bring other balls because I don't necessarily want to use Strixons when we're just dicking around on some of the courses, but. True. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to spend, yeah, you don't want to spend five bucks a ball. Well, I mean, I'll do it with Pro V's and that. I just don't want to lose my, the Strixons. Those are my favorite ones, so. And just to give everybody a recap of last week, we got together and played Shushwap National, and it is a beautiful hidden gem up in the Okanagan um, Cottage Country region. It is a great track. Um, layout's good. It's got a good mix of difficulty. Greens are um, lightning fast but still receptive when you're hitting wedges in and makes you think about your shots um is where i was going with it a second ago so you got a couple of different direction uh dog legs some long par fives um challenging par threes uh ranging between like 135 and a 200 yard par three so there is some mix going on there and uh no great track so thanks for the recommendation yeah i I'm glad it held up because it's a good track. Maybe we can get some free rounds there now that we put in a good word. Yeah. Maybe I can hit a green there for one. <laughs> Shoot 79 without hitting a green on the backside. Like yeah. his, his short game and his putting was kind of like Brian Harmon, which is <laughs> a great segue. Yeah, I think I had what I had. Uh, so... 11 putts on the back nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was maybe. quite the, it was quite the display. Yeah. You're, you're playing real well. Your short game's on point right now. And just in time going into the good buddies invitational at the end of next week. Oh yeah. I can't wait for that. It's going to well, be a great couple days, but uh, we can probably get into that a little bit more later. We'll get, get through the, the open, chit chat now and then we can talk about that after perfect so i guess coming out of the british open the headline is brian Harmon wins a um, couple of things pop into my mind i just wanted to start off kind of with the golf course itself and how well it held up considering the week that they have for weather looking at traditional British Open weather, you typically see dry conditions when it comes to the fairways because they're not watering them. They're trying to get them as fast as possible. So you get some of those funky rolls into the fairway bunkers. 
Didn't really have that this week. Um, Thursday, Friday, probably played a little bit drier, but still they were getting rain in the week leading up to the tournament. Um, Overall, I was very impressed with the course. Those pop bunkers were amazing to see how penal they were. Um, The way they have them set up for the week leading up to and including Thursday, I thought they were playing amazingly and they really were a hazard out on the course, um, which is different than American style golf. But overall, what were your thoughts on the course? Uh, I thought the course played how it was I expected it to I mean if you're going to play the British Open you expect there to be pot bunkers you're not you know you're supposed to avoid them you know, I, I I could get into a huge rant about how I hate when they people complain about a course because it's too hard for professionals who you know make millions upon millions of dollars a year um, and then they change it or you know like all the way back to Chambers Bay and they were crying about that course like you know, it, it's funny. So just to cut you off for a second, it's funny you bring up Chambers Bay because that was the one example that I was thinking of where the U.S. Open or the USGA set that course up in such a way that it could get away from them. And it did to a certain extent where those greens got way too fast on the last day. Um I think similar thing happened with the bunkers, but when you look at the bunkers, I see them as being hazards, as we talked about throughout the course of the weekend. And you go to TPC Sawgrass as another example. They have water all over the place. It's penal. You don't hit your ball at the water. Same thing when it comes to these pop bunkers. You knew there were going to be one to two strokes uh, penalty if you were going into them. And yet guys are complaining about them. And they ended up caving, which I would say bad decision by the RNA to cave and change those bunkers and put a little upslope on them. I thought that was the wrong decision. I don't know how you felt about it. I think it was a terrible decision. I think these guys make tens of millions of dollars a year to play a game that we all spend our hard-earned money on. Like, you don't have Kevin Durant crying because last week he had some third stringer guarding him, and next week he's got, you know, Giannis guarding him. Like, they don't make Giannis not play as hard because Kevin doesn't want to have to try as hard. So you're saying that Giannis is a hazard out there to avoid him? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's playing defense on you. He is a hazard to your ability to score. So yes, but you know it's golf. It, that's the one thing that drives me nuts about professional golf is like the bitching and crying about the course being too hard or this is too penal. Like you make so much money to do this, you're supposed to be the best in the world, and frankly, the course should be harder than anything anybody else plays. And, you, and they shouldn't change it just because you're crying about it. I mean, I go back to the NBA thing. No one, you know, you you play the Charlotte Hornets or back the Charlotte Bobcats back in the day, and then the next week you have to play the Los Angeles Lakers. They're not asking the Lakers to take to to not go hard on you because uh, it might be difficult for you to score. And I think that's my entire perspective on it. Same thing goes with when they played Chambers Bay and some of those other, some of those like U.S. Open courses where they make it really penal. Like that's what it should be. You're the best golfers in the world. You should be playing the hardest courses. And if there's <laughs> spots you're not supposed to hit it into, and you hit it in there, 
huh? you should be penalized for it. Don't get it up. in there. I mean, yeah. it's a perfect kind of segue to like one of the craziest stats I saw from the from the Open this past weekend is the guy who won, Brian Harmon, hit it in two bunkers all weekend. Yep. All tournament. You had to avoid those bunkers. And just to kind of put a bow in the bunker situation, I think there's two things that bug me there. One was coming off of a week when the DP World Tour decides to move up tee times to avoid some of the wind that was coming in. I get that wind can play um, a deciding factor, and it can get really bad on a course when you're not expecting it. The greens are rolling too fast, and then all of a sudden you get some rules infractions with balls moving and stuff like that. So I get it from that standpoint, and also you have the British Open coming up the week after, so you want to get those guys out of there. You want to get them on their way to the British. Um, but then to follow it up with changing, completely changing the the way that they're sloped kind of bugged me, and it's kind of a historical thing when it comes to bunkers at the British Open. They like to rake them flat so that you get some of those funky lies and those pop bunkers. But um, I don't really see the other side of this argument where they shouldn't have done it. I just don't understand it. The only reason why they did it was because they wanted to Americanize the bunkers. And in America, you get these flat bunkers, not too big of a lip on it. Players can get it out of there. Um, if you read the Michael Kim post that you had today on the bunkers, it kind of explains things really well where they aren't penal in the U.S. On par fives, guys are aiming for the bunkers in on American courses and parkland courses because they just don't penalize you. Um, so to take that away from the course, I was a little upset about it, but um, I don't think it really had a bearing on how the tournament finished. Now to your point, Harmon, Two bunkers for the week. Let's talk about his putting on top of that. Some of the stats that came up. So I'll give it to you for some of those. Well, while you're while you're pulling it up, I mean it. He's the only one that they that I've seen where they actually like noted how few bunkers he hit. And and to you talking about how you know that's a essentially a hazard where it's a one to two stroke loss to you for going in there. I mean that's arguably exactly the difference between him and everyone else in the field. Like Tom Kim, six strokes less than Harmon, Seth Straka, Jay Day, John Rahm, all six strokes less than him. So if they hit six, you know, let's say four, five, six more bunkers, I mean, that's exactly where all those strokes came from. Not to mention his putter is white hot. You mean the old school vacuum cleaner, manual push vacuum cleaner from elementary school? (laughs) My thought on it. It's a big putter, regardless of perspective. But I feel like it looks even bigger because he's a little guy. (laughs) So like if it's a it's a big tool in a small hand. Yeah. If Dustin Johnson's holding that putter, it doesn't look as big. No, I still think it's it's, it's a probably yeah twenty five percent bigger or fifty percent bigger than the spider. Yeah, it's still I huge. Know. But here, here's here's some of the stats, and I think this is through round three. Um, I don't think that the stats are out just yet for the final round, but even still, we can extrapolate out. 
He was 44 for 44 for putts within 10 feet, which is crazy. So half of his putts were from 10 feet or in, and he was making all of them. It reminds me of another lefty that won a major many moons ago, actually the first lefty that ever won a major, Mike Weir. When he won the Masters, he was on fuego from 10 feet, and that's the stat that won him that Masters. So really, that 10-foot putting range, if you can make all those putts or make a majority of them while still striking the ball well, you can win a major. He, he was uh, 45 for – this is the full number. 45 for 45 inside five feet and 14 for 15 – between five and 10 feet. So what That's is that? That's crazy. 59 for 60 <laughs> inside 10 feet. That's that's crazy. That's otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, uh, we, did we talk about it last week where we were saying, like, we couldn't, we couldn't decide whether putting was like, that big in the British Open or not. And I think it just case in point. I mean, well, short game and putting, and he missed it in every one of the right spots all week long. Like every time I turned it and you'd see him hitting a shot, it would be to the proper side. He wasn't short siding himself. He wasn't leaving it in the little crevices to your point. He was avoiding bunkers. So he wasn't getting those penalty strokes out of those bunkers. It was just, it was a great display of ball striking as well as short game. But I will say his irons, he was hitting them real well. If you're hitting 60 putts from within 10 feet throughout your four days, that means that you're still striking the ball really well. Well, yeah, or, you know, <clears throat> you're missing the green, and but you're chipping it within 10 feet and you're automatic from there, or you're hitting the green and you got a big leg putt and you get it, you know, within 10 feet and then you're automatic. Mm-hmm. I, it, yes, he was hitting the ball. You don't have to agree with me. You could just say straight up you're wrong and – it, no, was a, it was a short game. I don't. I think it was. I think it was a combination. No, I'm agreeing with you that his irons, from what I when I was watching, his irons were on. Um, I'm. I'm just still like dumbfounded at that putting stat, though. Like that is just amazing. Yeah. But then, like, you look. So Brian Harmon. Kudos to him. I mean, you earned that. He put him and his caddy. That was the perfect plan, and they executed it. You look through the next, like let's say the top five, or at least like the four guys who were tied for second. Like they all had, you know, one round where it wasn't an ideal performance. I mean, Sepp Strzok, I think of the top four of the other, like the tied for second guys, him, Tom, Kim, Jason Day, John Rahm. He was the only one that didn't have a round over par. Like Rahm Rahm finished tied for second. And if you take out the third round where he shot eight under, he was plus one for the rest of the tournament. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and it seemed to be. I I didn't know how to explain it, but I was looking at it, looking at the scores, 
And guys weren't really going low for multiple days. It was just that one day splash in the pan. And then especially for Harmon, just holding on for dear life. But um, yeah, it was. It, I was going to ask you, is it that Brian Harmon stole that tournament or took that tournament? Or was it that all the chasing pack just couldn't get the job done and put enough pressure on him down the stretch. I think he, or in pre or in prior days, to your point, having that one bad day, got you behind the eight ball. So you couldn't make that run. I don't know, man. He played, he played pretty consistently the first three days, like of the top, like of the top five guys, so the T two guys and him, he's the only one that shot in the sixties the first day. He shot sixty seven. The closest one was Sepp Strzok shooting par. Round two, he shot sixty five, and the closest guys were J Day and Straka, who shot sixty sevens. You know, he was essentially on par with all those guys in round three, except for Rom's minus eight, mm-hmm. and then he goes out and shoots a minus one. You know, steady minus one, knowing he's got a lead. I think they played it perfectly. Yeah. I think that was a master class in how to play consistently and work your way around a tournament in four days. Yeah. I was I was actually impressed just to see where he was placing the ball. So everybody kept on referencing Tiger and getting to the dog legs on a lot of the holes because there is a lot of dog legs on the holes. Um, He was doing that. He was hitting it to the proper side of the dog leg so that he would have a good angle into most of those greens. And to your point, it was a master class on it. Um, Now let's kind of flip things a little bit. I know we talked about power rankings for the European team for the Ryder cup. We've talked a little bit about the American team um, going into the Ryder cup in about just over a month here. Um, Guy who I've said is on the cusp of making the team, but I see him on the outside looking in JT. Follows up his 80 at the U.S. Open with a first-round 80 here at the British Open. Do you see him getting a old boys pick, or do you see him not making the team at this point, if he had to pick the team right now? Uh, you're not going to not take JT. Um, if I had to pick the team right now, it would be a tough one. He would get, I would probably give him the last spot on it. Like he's in the blender right now, but his body of work is enough to get him there. So you're relying on, past performance may be indicative of future results. Yeah. Especially with a guy like JT. I think if you're just looking at the last little bit and you're like, I got to have a guy play next week, I'm not taking him. Yeah. But. And and I, I think you're right. Like when I look at the bottom and as things are playing out here um, more and more, 
that bottom half of this team is playing like absolute garbage. So the six that I kind of think are going to be locks going into um, the Ryder Cup. Scheffler, obviously. Wyndham Clark, lock. Brooks, lock. Xander, lock. Cantlay, your boy, lock. Homa, Keegan may flip back and forth based upon points. Maybe a Jordan Spieth uh, sneaks in there. But then I see Spieth um, along with, and this is a guy who I put onto the lock list after his performance this, this week, last year at the British Open, and he's got some length on him, Cam Young. I think he's yeah. worked his way into more of a lock pick. Then you got the likes of Keegan Bradley, Morikawa, Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas all fighting for those last few spots. Yeah, I'm thinking Keegan, given his performances this year, is I'd hang my hat on him. Um, Homa, if let's just assume Homa gets that sixth spot to start. Yeah, you know, I would say Keegan definitely gets on that team. The Cam Young picks a big one. So really, I had eight guys that I got locked in. I got the six that are in the points positions. So again, Scotty, Wyndham, Brooks, Xander, Cantlay, Homa. So those are the six in the point spots. And then I took Spieth and Young. So I got eight guys locked in right now playing. Um, so really, you got four spots left. Um, and yeah, at this point, I I would take probably... A Keegan, Morikawa, Ricky, and then that last spot is probably going to be between a JT, a Tony Fanu, and um, yeah, Sam Burns. Sam Burns, and like other guys too. Like you've got. (sighs) Well, do you take Reed or DeChambeau? That's the other thing right. that you, you got to start looking at because the live guys are eligible on the American team. So it's like, <laughs> did you take Taylor Gooch? He didn't play well this week, but I, I think he played himself right out. Like yeah. he's never had experience on the Ryder cup team. Reed would be a guy who consistently shows up in big spots. I know he can be a little bit of a pain in the ass and probably isn't overly well received in the locker room. So it may be a tough pick. Um, for that team, but he's a guy that I could see getting it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's his previous body of work, right? I think it... I think Ricky's got himself on the team, for sure, with how he's been playing this year. Yeah, um, yeah the, the Justin Thomas one, I, that that's going to be a... I think for the sake for the sake of the show moving forward, I will take the he's on the outside looking in approach, and you and Jordan can take the his body of work speaks speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, I I can agree with him being on the outside. I think it's it goes back to that like, do I need a team tomorrow, or are we giving JT time to you know work work out all of his demons before this tournament starts? I'm going to exercise the demons. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's just, a, it's an interesting one. And it's a good topic for debate moving forward as we get closer. Because um, guys, 
make their whole schedule around trying to make a Ryder Cup team. And that's all they think about for the two years in between is how do I get to the Ryder Cup? And if they aren't winning majors, then that's kind of the second best thing that they could be doing is making Ryder Cup teams throughout their career. Um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see which route Zach goes when it comes to the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Captain's picks. Before we get into breaking down our picks from last weekend and seeing where we went right and where we went wrong, and obviously there was more wrong than right, um, we got our first sponsor for the show, Cottage Springs. They make a great vodka soda, and they just came out with tequila soda. So AP's favorite drink. We'll be enjoying those up at the cottage up in Gravenhurst for the Good Buddies Invitational. So like to give a shout out to them. Thanks, guys, Springs. Okay, so getting back to the British Open yet again for a second. Uh, let's break down yours and my picks when it came to the weekend. See where we went right, where we went wrong. So collectively, we were eight for eight on our picks. Unfortunately, you picked the top four players. Um, I didn't pick. So the top it's kind of easy. <laughs> Top three plus a wild card. No, I didn't. Cam Smith wasn't in the top three betting odds. He was like seventh or eighth. Uh, you're going to have to defend that one now. Um, I will screen cap the, from when it was. It was Okay. Okay. That's fine. I so, who I should have picked before you get into it. I should have picked Alex Fitzpatrick for a top 25. You should have. What a weekend for him winning the Fitzy Cup. Between oh, well, him and his brother. Good for him. Did he you see how... Be like, what? I know he probably wants to be like a professional golfer in that, but like, they should just be a dynamic duo, and he should just be on the bag. So he should go like the Henderson sisters? Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Like The way that he got into the open, it wasn't directly in with that bunker shot from his knees, but what a fucking shot he had oh. in order to get up and in for a birdie um, from his knees out of a bunker during qualifying. So, I mean, he's a dick. Let's talk. Let's, let's oh, talk. yeah. The yeah. don't used to be a caddy. The guy is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, maybe this might maybe this time. might propel him forward in, in his career. But, uh, okay, so your picks. You had Cam Smith, Scotty, Rory, and Hat. So, really, when you look at it, you had two guys who were up there on the leaderboard fighting to try and win this thing. And then you had two guys who made the cut. What'd you see from this group that you liked? What were some of the things that you didn't like or kind of where you went wayward with the picks? Well, I don't like how none of them won. Cause <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, they were showing a heck of a lot of Rory on TV. Like they would, they would pan to, or switch to other people, but it felt like I was watching a lot of Rory. And his driver was not his best weapon. And you, I was going off to you the other day about it. Like, stop hitting the driver, man! Like, stop hitting the driver. Hit your two iron, your three iron, whatever it is. And then today, when it, once it started raining, he started hitting two iron. And it was like perfect. 
I get wanting to use your biggest weapon, and Rory's driver is certainly his most powerful weapon in the bag. But it almost felt like he was forcing it. And like he was playing on a one of the courses he wants lengthened or he wants the ball rolled back on that you can just blast driver and it it felt like he forgot the Lynx golf roots where he came from yeah so you know what they should do at the travelers just toss a whole bunch of pop bunkers out there rake them flat at the bottom and then you don't have to worry about rolling the ball back yeah good to go you know, you got a tree-lined traditional course. Fill all of the trees, like the ground around the trees, fill it all with pine straw. So, oh, I found my ball in the trees. Can't hit it. Or I have to punch it out. Yeah. Like, there are ways around it. And, like, Rory was doing everything in his power the first few days to not have to hit four irons and five irons in the greens. It almost felt like he was trying to push it down there as far as possible to your point. So he didn't have to hit the long irons into the greens, but that's exactly what he's like hitting those irons into greens is exactly what he's trying to make happen by like pushing or agreeing for this ball rollback. And it's like, well, it wasn't working for you, bud. So like, Don't do it. I, I get it. I mean, if I had a driver like Rory, I would hit it on every freaking hole because it's that powerful. But it was not working. And it took them, I think it honestly took them a, a couple days too long to realize that. Yeah. And when you looked at Rory, it was his inaccuracy off the tee coupled with his inability to make putts. Yeah. And that's where when you look at that top 25 list, it's kind of like all those guys were striping the ball well. It was who was putting the best out of those top 25 that that was going to set you apart from the other guys. So really, Rory's shortcoming was his inability to be accurate off the tee as well as his putting um, kind of killed him. And y- you kind of look at the list and you're looking at the same thing over and over again. But um I'll break down my thing was the other thing that I I noticed was the guys who were effectively hitting driver were shaping it a lot more than Rory typically was. So like, you know, John Rom's name's on my screen right now, but like I watched John Rom and like he's hitting this gigantic cut. Like I almost want to call it a slice. Because if, if any of us did that on the course, it would be so high and right. But he like is aiming it far left knowing that it's going to peel into the fairway. Whereas Rory was hitting his like high knuckleball bombs, but they weren't going where he wanted them to. Yeah, and it's funny you bring up Rom. I notice when he's playing his best golf, so first day he was kind of hitting those straight drives and he didn't really have the tail that he typically has when he started going on that run uh, yesterday he was hitting that nutty cut that he hits to your point almost a slice um 
but he just he can place that thing when he's hitting it like that. It's almost like he has a dreaded straight ball moment where he's hitting it too straight and he's aiming out to the left and it's getting caught on him. Um, he had a couple of situations where he was trying to hit a draw also where he was aiming way down the right side and it ended up just staying straight out there. So, yeah, it was almost like the weather, the weather forced them to hit the shots. They should have been hitting the whole time, regardless, like the shots, the course called for regardless of the weather. And it was only when the weather came in that they just, that these guys decided to start hitting those shots. Like the weather came in, Rory started hitting two irons. The weather came in, John Rom started hitting that cut. Mm-hmm. And, and well, yeah. the winner ends up hitting. He was hitting those same shots all week that the other guys could have been hitting with their two iron. To your point, and it may have kept him out of more trouble than the other guys between pop bunkers, deep rough, all the other stuff that they got into. All the little shibibli bits that they got into. Well, yeah, and I think the thing with with Harmon is he's not going to overpower the course, right? So he doesn't ever go into it, I don't think, thinking, I'm just going to smash driver here because I can get it all the way down there. He has to go around a golf course thinking, you know, I've got to put this ball here and then I'm going to have this shot in from here and... And in a situation like we saw the last four days, that was precisely how that course needed to be played from day one all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then I'll break down my pick. So luckily, four for four getting into the weekend, I had Xander, Hovland, Fitzy, and Patty. So not great finishes, but kind of when you look at the collective, they were... At the bottom and minus Victor and um, and I think Fitzpatrick would have been there, but then he had that blow up on seventeen and um, I think from my perspective, my picks um, Xander just kind of cruised, but he was constantly getting in trouble off the tee. So yet another guy who was getting yep. in trouble off the tee. So I think. Point well taken. Should have been hitting a lot more of the two irons. So um, it's almost like they were um, out thinking themselves or overthinking it um, when it came to yeah. Um, but that that brings up another point. So that seventeenth hole got redone a few years ago. What were your overall thoughts from seeing some action on it? We saw a hole in one, then we saw some sixes and sevens on that hole what was your overall thought when you when you saw that hole in play it's a short hole like it's a wedge for most of those guys yeah it was like 135 to 150 yeah i mean it it should have been it, it it's the hole it should be if it's that short and you're playing and those are the guys that are playing it like they should be able to hit their wedges in a smaller circle. So I had no issue with it. I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I mean, if you or I went out there, we're not hitting wedges into, you know, a five foot bucket. No. And it almost reminds me, and you're going to have to tell me which hole it is because I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like the hole at whistling straights, the shorty par three 
that's usually playing about 100 yards for us, probably 150 for the pros. But they got all the tiered bunkers all the way up the hill, and none of them are in play, but it's just to distract your eye. Um, And it seemed very similar, this hole. You have no backdrop. You're just looking straight into the ocean, run off off the back, two big pop bunkers on either side of the green, um, turtle back. So it looks a lot tougher than I think it actually is. You can land it right in the middle of that green, two putt as a pro, and get out of there. But, of course, when you have that scoring club in your hand, you want to go after it, and that's where the mayhem ensued. Um, We watched Fitzy just hacking at that uh, ball in the waste area off to the left there, and it was it looked like one of us out there. Uh, but he was one of the guys and his caddy who got after that hole saying that it was just a ridiculous hole and they couldn't imagine an amateur playing it. So, Well, cool. <laughs> Amateurs are still playing it. And you know what? They're paying three, four, five, six hundred dollars to play holes like that. Like, yeah, it, I thought it was a great golf hole. Like for shorty par three, I loved how it looked. Like aesthetically pleasing, and um, it it's a good nasty. test of golf. Yeah, like yeah. Don't get me wrong. When you're standing on that. Anyone standing on that tee, it does not look fun. But when you look at it, and it's like, oh, it's a hundred and let's say thirty-five yards. I've got to put it in the middle of the green. You know, the expectation of the best golfers in the world is put it in the middle of the green. Yeah, but the problem is here's the other problem is these guys are so good that I honestly think their minds are like, well, I can go at that pin. All I've got is a gap wedge in my hand, and then the margin for error when you're going for where the pins are, they're almost all sucker pins. Like you can't. You need to just hit it to the meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and take your two putt and get out of there like i was saying but exactly. uh, and that that's why they set up these golf holes the way that they do with such penal stuff around it so that they can tuck those pins and it's a little bit more on the classic design side having those big pop bunkers kind of tucked there or like the roll-off areas going into waste uh, waste bunkers so yeah i just i mean you know as well as anyone, I have no sympathy for professional golfers complaining about the courses they're playing. As you've it's stated great. earlier, yes. Yeah, and I will continue to state, and I will, quite frankly, die on this hill. Like, we as amateur golfers, we get all excited to go play, you know, whatever courses we get to play, right? An opportunity to play. We're not complaining that, oh my gosh... The the slope on number 18 at Pasatiempo is not fair. We're just like over the moon that we get to play around at Pasatiempo. Yeah. So I have no sympathy for these professionals who get to play the best courses in the best condition, the best with the the best equipment. Dialed in. You don't like it. Too friggin' bad. Like, you're the best in the world. Let's see how good you actually are. Yeah. It's almost like they just need something to complain about, like a normal golfer. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i trying not... Okay, I'm just going to say it. Shut up and play golf. Yeah. Like, you get to do something that we all would love to do and make a living doing. 
So just do it. Go play. Don't hit it in the pot bunker. Maybe make the right decision. If you hit it in there, whoop-dee-doo. We're not making the green on number 17 at TPC Sawgrass smaller because so many pros put it in the water. Like You mean the water smaller? Making the green bigger? Yeah, sorry. We're not yeah. making the green bigger. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, but, yeah. like, it, yeah, I... I love watching golf. I love watching them challenged. I love watching them hit ridiculous shots that you're like, that is amazing. How did he get it to land there perfectly spin back, blah, 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 like two hops, spin back. Like that's why those of us that watch golf as much as we do watch it because we play it and we know how hard it is. And then we get to see people make it arguably look easy. Well, every so often I want to see them make it look hard. Yep. I would agree on that. So we'll put a pin in that one. Yeah, we'll stop beating. 17 was a good hole. Yeah, It I had some it. ups, downs, fireworks on both directions. Yeah. It was it was fun. I thought it was fun. I liked it. Personally. I want to play. Well, yeah. that's And I think that's why they built it out to be um, polarizing. They wanted that so that people want to come play that course and pay the $500 to go play there. Exactly. Freeze your, freeze your nuts off in July. <laughs> we'll get into that on another episode. All right. The Good Buddies Invitationals coming up this weekend. Um, we'll talk less about the golf and more about the weekend or as much as we can. Um, got a great group coming together, nine of us um, in total. So we got me, you, Ruckby, who's hosting us. So shout out to Rucks. Thanks for having us nine knuckleheads in and sharing your house with us. We'll see if it's still standing at the end of the weekend or it goes Project X. Andy Bobandy, Davis Wilson on the ones and twos, George Smith, MC, Matty Curtis, and the Warsaw Wonder, Briz, and Brad Smith. So... Of that list, give me your odds-on favorite and then your anchor for the weekend that's going to drag everybody down. But your odds-on favorite to be MVP for funness and what are they going to bring to the table? Uh, I think it's a tight race between Curtis and Briz for MVP. Okay, but with how they interact, would it be a joint award for both of them? Yeah, they're they're definitely gonna have to hold it together. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know about the anchor. Probably me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't think there's gonna be an anchor. I think that, that's a cop out answer. Yeah. I, oh, I mean, I'll, it'll be me then. But I, I don't know. There's definitely going to be multiple people competing for MVP more than there'll be the likelihood of multiple people being anchor. Okay. I like it. Um, but no, I'm just stoked because the boys haven't been together in a long time. We get to play some golf. You know, it's going to be a lot of sandbagging leading up to that golf, which will be great. Well, um, yeah, we got – so in total, we have – Nine guys coming. We got six guys with official handicaps, three guys without. So I was thinking on the on my long drive back east, what can we do to penalize those guys? 
I was thinking we Kinda could do something. Guys without yeah, without the handicaps. Because you can't be coming in there without a handicap. Like, even if you got to scrounge and find rounds and throw them into a handicap calculator, do it. Do whatever you got to do. But, like, I was thinking with those guys, I don't think they should be getting any more than 18 for their handy. And maybe we should do a random draw the night before and we draw their handies and it's either a 14 15 or a 16 and that's as high as it goes yeah, i don't i don't hate that I, and I, that's I, the penalty I, that you pay for not having a handy i've played with the three of them none of them are 18s that's the thing like the, well, they're, they can't, they're, if they're 18s it's because they're gonna blow up but like Bo Bandy can get himself around a golf course pretty smoothly. You know, Davis can get himself around, and and Adam will. Adam kind of plays like you, Bert, where he'll rip off like six, seven holes of like clean, clean. You know, one, two over golf, and then he'll explode. Yeah. So you know it. I. I got shit on by everyone because I was like, we should do Callaway because then it like eliminates the explosion holes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I see. I'm I'm the biggest advocate for taking away blow up holes, and that's why I love match play because I am the king of blow ups. Yeah. So I was all for it, but I get why you wouldn't want to go down that road. That's why I just blew up my whole round for the last three weeks trying to increase my handy. So it did go from a 9.5 to a 10. So kudos to me for doing that. But (laughs) (laughs) missing every green and I just fucking got up and down every time. Damn. Um, Yeah, I don't know. If I had to pick between my two, my co-MVPs, I'm going with Briz. I feel like he's, he's been coming in from Tennessee just full speed ahead. And when he gets going, he just Well layer it on too. The the ride. kid's gonna be the kid's gonna be loose because he was always the bridesmaid and never the bride when it came to hole in ones. And this year he gets his first hole in one. So he's gonna be coming in, not a care in the world out on the golf course, having a great time. And we know he doesn't really have a care in the world to begin with. So layer that on. I could see that. I'm going to one-up you and say, if there is a special guest, they are going to be the MVP. So of this list, I'm going to take everybody out that's not going to be there for the Friday. Because I don't think you could truly get an MVP if you're not there for the whole weekend. And you got to bring it probably 2x on that Saturday in order to get MVP. So already off the list, George's off the list, Davis is off the list, and Andy's off the list because they won't be there on Friday. I think if there is one person that catches wind of this get-together and shows up, he is the automatic MVP. And that person is Costa. <laughs> that no that's that's gonna be my dark horse pick for MVP. There's no way he shows up, but if he shows up, he's always the MVP. Hey, exactly. So I figured I'd throw that one out. But of the group, I see it as a two-man race. I see it between the host and Briz. I'm gonna go with Adam just to be different. 
so I'm going to take Adam and then the anchor. You've had to drag me out of many a basement after a long night of drinking. So Saturday could be a bad day for me. We could be talking triple digits out on the golf course. And we haven't even, we should do a quick overview of where we're playing. So I'm just going to, you tell them where we're playing on Saturday. And then I'll, I got to pull something up. We are playing at The Rock. In, outside of Bracebridge. It is a Nick Faldo designed course that I have not played. So... I can't give too much insight into it, but my understanding is that there are places where the Canadian Shield just decides to poke through areas. And for those of you listening that don't know what that is, the Canadian Shield is a gigantic rock, granite feature that goes all through southern Ontario. And I've heard that you can absolutely stripe it down the pipe and catch a piece of the shield and the ball disappears. So I'm yeah, a little and concerned. I've so I've played the course and it has eased up over the years. And I'm trying to find the slope on the course, but the last time that I played it, it was playing, I believe, at about a 140. Um the course is ridiculous. Like it, it's a beautiful course set up in Muskoka, like you were saying, um, fault of design word on the street is he goes there for the grand opening, plays the course, shoots an 82 and says, fuck it. This is the last time I'm ever coming back here because of that round. So it is a tough track. They have taken away some of the Canadian shields. You'd hit like a, you'd stripe a perfect drive, get up there and you wouldn't be able to find the ball because there was a piece of the Canadian shield um, sticking out through the fairway, but they've rectified some of those things, um, kind of tamed the course down a little bit, but still a very tough test of golf, tight fairways. Um, if you're right or left of the fairways, you're kind of SOL, and uh, it'll be interesting, especially after a night of partying, um, to see where everybody lands. We got... Yeah, I mean, it's and, not that and, long either, though, too, no. which is interesting. I mean, for mm-hmm. a somewhat newer course up there, you know, fully tipped out, it's 6,600, 6,700. You can't really go much further back than that with how yeah. it plays. I played it with Masha, who's a scratch golfer, and he even shot 78 there. And that was like, that was a pretty good round around that track. Um, yeah. I'm expecting Curtis being a plus handicap. Um, so we range from the guys who have handies from the plus all the way up to me at 10. Um, I'm expecting Curtis to probably hover around 74. Um, I don't see him going much higher than that, especially being in a more relaxed setting than a Canadian mid-am qualifier. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun weekend. Um, looking forward to it, but, uh, yeah. Any final words from you? No, none for me. I'm just looking forward to the weekend. I fly out on Tuesday, so lay low for a couple days and then get after it. Nice. Well, safe flight out there. I'll be seeing you next weekend and yeah, looking forward to it. Sounds good, man. All right. All right. Later.